Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, if you would, turn with me to Genesis 35. Um, We're going to start out uh, in a great place to start out in 35 verse 1. Um, So just to recap, in case you missed last week, I know it was uh, traumatic for some of us who were here. And I don't want anyone to miss out on that, um, what last week was. If, if you don't know what we talked about last week, I encourage you to go back and read Genesis 34. Um, so um, in Genesis 34, uh, Dinah, who is Jacob slash Israel's daughter, she is raped. And Simeon and Levi um, tell the town, I'm going like, to kind of summarize this, um, the, the prince who, who does this says he wants to marry Dinah. Because um, he's such a sweet guy. And um, the, the brothers, Simeon and Levi, say, well, we can't intermarry with you guys uh, unless you're circumcised. So you need to circumcise yourself. And amazingly enough, the entire town of men agree to this. Um, and so they do this. And then while they're hurting, Simeon and Levi go in and kill all of them. Kill all, kill all the men in the town, right? Um, it's not... It's actually, we, the kids are going over that in children's church this week. I know it's not something we don't hear. And then after they killed all the men, the other brothers joined in and looted the town, right? Um, not a Bible study we talk about. So, um, and we're going to go back and reference that, but we kind of need to know what has just happened so that when we look at what's happening now, we can see like, why is this happening, right? And we can see why this is happening. So in Genesis 35, 1, it says, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God tells them, time to move. It's time to move. Time to move back to um, Bethel. They didn't live there before, but he's saying you need to go to Bethel. And, and you might be wondering, why did God say this? Well, but if you think of what happened in Genesis 34, there's many good reasons for them to move. Right? A lot of what happens if in Genesis 34, 30, Jacob, in response to what his sons have done, because they, they tell him what happened, he gets back to him. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I, I and my household will be destroyed. And this is not, because I know like sometimes like Simeon and Levi were like, dad, oh, he's such an overreactor, right? Because that's what children think when they're parents. It doesn't matter. No matter what age you get, I am 42. And when my parents say things, I'm like, Ugh. you just like, you just go back. You're like, <laughs> like, you know, anything, you know? And then the other time you're like, mom and dad, you know what? I just never understood everything you did. And everything you did was perfect. And I honor you and I respect you. And I just want to tell you that. And they're like, thank you, this. And you're like, <laughs> It just kind of kind of goes back. I don't know why. I don't really do that, but my sisters do that, and they need to work on it. But I've been redeemed from that, and I bless you and I honor you, mother. Um, so, but this is a real possibility. Okay, they're they're new. They're they're fairly new in this area. There's all these tribes, right? And and when when they come in as as, as this big group, they're going to be watching and saying, "What are these people doing here?" You know. You know, the Israelites could be like, hey, we're just running military exercises on the outskirts in Belarus and in the Black Sea. Just we're going to run some military exercises. Nothing, nothing to see here, you know? Right? And we, we trust, we know, yeah, that's all that's happening. Um, but so it's like, they're like, are these people peaceful? Because not everyone's peaceful. 
right? There, there's so many, this is a different, different world. There's different tribes. There's constant warring. No one knows Jacob's clan, what their intentions are. Um, and you can be sure, you know, when they're watching this clan and like, hey, do you think these guys are good? Should we make peace with them? Will they be like a great addition to the community, right? And then they're like, and then they hear this and you think, I don't know if I want them living next to me. I don't know if that's what I want as a neighbor. You know, I doubt they were taking casseroles over and being like, hey, um, listen. But so, and when, when something like this occurs close to home, you can bet all these other tribes in these other areas were like, okay, we need to, all of a sudden, like you could be like totally fighting with your neighbor over and over and you're like, let's make peace because these guys are next level. These guys are next level, right? And so now all of a sudden, you know, when, when all of your neighbors start being afraid of you, what do they do? They start to prepare in case you might attack, right? So everybody is going to be, or Jacob believes, and I think he's got a good, good idea in his head that everyone's going to be hostile towards them. So God tells Jacob, it's time to return. And we'll pick up in verse two. It says, so Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. So I don't, I don't know about you, but my thought is, because um, we've been following them, right? We've been, we've been following them chapter by chapter. And and you read this and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's turn in all our foreign gods. Where did all these foreign gods come from? What happened, right? I mean, we didn't hear anything about it except Rachel, right? But we're just like, how did all these foreign gods get in the house? And the last time we did hear about it was when Rachel stole her father's household gods, which would be like little statues. Um, but now it's like widespread, right? Like someone came in the house and was like, oh, I love what you've done. What is that on your mantle? And they're like, oh, that's a household god. And they're like, I want one, you know? And someone's got an Etsy business making foreign gods. But, but when we talked about Rachel, why would she steal her father's household gods? It, because whoever held the gods, these little statues, they're not real. Because when you start saying gods, people are like, are there multiple gods? No, they're just little statues, okay? But that's what they call them. So that's what I'm gonna call them. But whoever held these little gods, these statues, held the blessing and the inheritance of that household. And her father believed they held a blessing over his household. Um, and so if, when she stole them, it kind of renders him powerless, right? Because he no longer has these gods. And we, we see this happen throughout the Bible in war. Whenever people fight, they would take the gods of their enemies. We see the Ark of the Covenant was actually taken um, from the Israelites once, and we'll get to that. We'll get there in five years, but I'll explain that. Um, but it was believed, like, if you captured the gods of your enemy, and that's where they thought all their power come from, if you, if you captured that god, you rendered them powerless, right? You kind of leave them hopeless, and that's what you want to do, right? You're just like, oh, your god is so powerful. Well, I just took it, and now you don't have anything. You're not going to have any harvest. Um, you're not going to be able to wage war against us, because what happened was all these people believed that they believed in so many different gods and each tribe had their own gods, but there were gods for different things. There were gods over particular areas, right? So like there was like this, this, um, this god had like 50 acres, square acres of power land. No, but um, 
They, they would have different areas. There's gods of Mesopotamia. There's gods of Canaan. And it was believed that these gods would wage war against each other, and they're waging war through man. So whenever people would go to war with each other, it was like, well, we're fighting for our god against this god. And they just thought these gods were fighting each other constantly. Right? And, and these gods also, they had gods for harvest, gods for rain, gods for fertility, just tons of different gods. So if you were able to defeat this, this, um, this other army and take their god, you, you render them powerless. They would believe that like, oh, will our women be fertile? Will it rain? Will we have harvest? Will we, will we have any strength? Like you're just totally humiliating them. It's the utmost shame to take their gods and they're less likely to rise up again because they feel powerless, because um, there's no God to lead them, no God to bless them. Um, but still, how did Israelites have all these foreign gods in their possession? And not only that, but they had talismans of other gods, because that's what the earrings are. It wasn't like, um, you know, they're just like, hey, you know, love jewelry, just not in the ears. It, it was like, these were like talismans of, of foreign gods. Um, and so if we turn back to Genesis 34, 27, to kind of see where these foreign gods came from. It says, The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out in the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses." What's in the houses? Household gods. What's going to be, what's going to have the most value in the house? The household gods, right? Um, but if you remember, Simeon and Levi had made this big show uh, to Hamor and Shechem because they had wanted um, uh, Dinah to marry Shechem. And they said, hey, we can't intermarry with you. God has commanded it. And we obey God because he told us not to mix with the Canaanite people. And we kind of talked about this, like, kind of like, what, what were they to do? Were they to let it, they, they couldn't let her marry him because God had said not to mix, right? But they couldn't let it go. How, how did, what could they do that was right, right? And so it looks like when they say, we can't intermarry with you because God has commanded it, you're like, yeah, stand on the word, brothers. You do it, you stand on the word, we're behind you. But, but they were kind of just using it um, to, to trick them. They're, they used a partial truth, right? Because the best lie has a lot of truth in it, right? Don't use that against your parents. But, but the best lie has truth in it. And God says, I don't want you mixing with them. And this is why. So they didn't, they, they were so obedient, bless them. They didn't marry them, but they did take them and pieces of their culture and all their belongings and all these people and brought them in to their camp. So they did. That, that big show they made about, oh, we're so holy. They ended up doing it anyway, just a different way. They brought these peoples, these Canaanite peoples in. They brought their gods in. And so this has, this has come, and, and now they're mixing. They're mixing. They took everything in the house, the household gods, everything of value, because anything they had of value, anything that was shiny, like they were going to turn it in to the household god. They were going to make it glamorous. So like, that's, that's like, just like someone sitting with a piece of gold in their house. And you're like, you know, what else do they have? You know, sheepskin, goatskin, you know, good stuff. But there's a really shiny object right there, right? And so while they made a big show of being obedient to God, 
they worked around him a little bit. They worked around God. We can always find a way to obey the, the letter of the law while disobeying the spirit and the intent of the law, right? Parents, has this ever happened in your life? All the time. The other day I was talking to Flynn. Flynn, he's a smart kid, but he thinks he's so much smarter than me all the time. And sometimes when we're in arguments, I'll be honest, don't ever tell him, he's right. Um, and, um, and when he's right, I spank him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but but he, so he starts to so like, and it, and it happens all the time. We'll say something and he'll be like, actually, that's not true. Because, and like, I had, there was this time, this day, and guys, I never, ever lose my temper. I don't, I don't. But this one time, one time, I don't know what happened. Um, the devil was attacking me hard, I guess. Um, and I was like, I was like, I'd only spent five hours praying that day. I'm usually six or seven. But so I'm just kidding. Honey, when you laugh at that, it throws out that that might not be true. You just say things like, he does, he does. It's, it's crazy. I'm always like, help me raise the kids. And I'm like, I'm praying. <laughs> um, but any, anyway, so, so he, always, he always starts every sentence to me with, actually. And I just had this moment, and I was walking away from when I stopped, and I said, Flynn, don't you ever again in your lifespan begin a sentence that is spoken to me with the word, actually. <laughs> Do you understand? Yeah. But actually. <laughs> I was like, as smart as you are, bro, you are stupid. Did you not see me gritting my teeth? Did you not hear in my voice that I was done? But... He did not begin his sentence with the word actually, but he still had the same spirit that I was trying to get rid of. You see? And we can be like, oh, that's funny, but we kind of do the same thing with God. We, we do the same thing. We're like, well, uh, I mean, am I being disobedient? Am I, am I, I don't, I don't really know. This, but this is like a big deal because this is why Jesus was at odds with the Pharisees. This is why Jesus was at odds at the Pharisees because the Pharisees, to the Pharisees, God only looked at their external compliance with the law. And they had found all these ways to work around so that they looked holy. It looked like they were obeying God externally. Everything looked holy and good, but they had found little workarounds, right? Um, and But Jesus tells them that he looks at the heart. He says, I look at the heart. That's why, for example, Jesus would equate the lustful look, which actually expresses the desire of the heart, with the actual committing of adultery. That's what, that's what Matthew 5, 27, 28, he says, no, the lustful look is the sin, right? It's not, it's not what's happening out here. It's what's happening in here that leads to that, right? Um, and, and he's talking to them because they have found ways to obey the letter of the law, but not obey God. It's kind of a strange thing, right? That we can obey the letter of the law given by God, but not be in obedience to God. 
because we know in our hearts we've found a way. We found we found a, a workaround, you know? And so now they have all these pagan idols and people mixed in to the people of God. And so Jacob, he collects it and he buries it. And this signifies the death of it. He's burying it. But also he puts it in a place where no one can take it back up, right? When you bury it, I mean, you might have to go dig and do some work. But I think so often when when we want to get rid of something that God tells us to get rid of, we get rid of it in a place where we can go get it back. We're like, oh, God, you're right. Oh, you're so right. Oh, I'm at church on Sunday night. Something mad, something's happening. I said magical. No, sorry. Miraculous is happening, and I'm, I'm laying this down. I'm leaving it at the altar. But just in case, I want to leave it somewhere close that I because I, I might need it again. Right? And so, and so he buries them. He said, This is dead. This is gone. And, and don't think Jacob didn't get any pushback. He's like, hey, I'm going to take everything we just got that has a lot of value to it, and we're going to bury it in the ground. And I can just, you can just see people being like, well, that's no use to anybody. There's so many good uses for that, right? Let's melt some stuff down. We can make some arrowheads. We can make some spears. Let's make, let's make a gift to the neighboring tribe, right? A blessing gift, right? That would be so good. Right, but then, but then it's like, yeah, okay, let's give them these, these pagan idols so that then they can worship them. And so he, he, he buries it, and I'm, I'm sure that he had quite a group of people who had some really good ideas about how we could still keep it, because that's always how it works. It's like, I, I don't know how many times we, we go and we, we hear from God, hey, you need to do this, and then, um, you know, we, we, went, we went through this phase and we, we got saved, um, and um, I like took all my... CDs, compact discs, um, they're circular, um, and, and, and we broke all, we, we broke them, um, and, uh, you know, it was like, and they were, they were, they were, they were bad CDs, like, the, the things that they said, what they're glorifying, they're bad, we, we broke it, um, but then one of our friends was like, oh, I'm gonna, um, I, I'm keeping mine, because I'm just gonna give them to people, you know, as a blessing, as a ministry, you know? And I said, <laughs> I didn't really, but, um, but like, you know, like, and then, and honestly, the ones that, that we did were like, you know, you're right. I'm going to, this is a really good CD. I want to keep it. And then, um, and then later we'd be like, you know, I'm just going to pull it back out. I'm going to listen to it. You know, and it's funny because actually like when, after I've been walking with Jesus for a very long time, um, I remember like someone giving me a CD that I had had at that time. And I put it in my car and I started listening to it. And I was like, oh, I can't listen to this. I can't listen to this. You know, it was that Lisa Loeb song, Stay. You know, it's like, you say, only hear what I want to. Like, don't listen hard. And I was just like getting so mad. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't listen to that song. But it was a bad, it was a bad, um, a bad uh, the CD, I was just like, I can't listen to this. Like, this disgusts me. I can't even believe that I like could compromise and be like, yeah, I'm just going to play this and, and I'll let this be what I listen to. Right. Um, but there's always this there's always this idea of compromise. The minute God tells you to do something and get rid of something, you will come up with the genius idea of compromise. 
how you can have it both ways immediately after. And, and you'll think, and it's funny because then you, you see people and they have these like conundrums. They're like, I don't know, was that God? Was that me? And it's like, well, did you want to get rid of it? No. Then do you think it was you? <laughs> well, I don't know. It might be. I'm still praying, still seeking his face. Um, but they bury them. They bury them and they put them away for good. They put them away for good. And then we're, we're going to pick up and see what happens uh, in verse 6. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Alan Bakuth. After Jacob returned from Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land, and I gave, the land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. We see in this section um, that Deborah, uh, who is Rebecca's nurse, um, she, she dies. Um, and if you remember when Eleazar went to get uh, a bride, went to get Rebecca, um, that's when Deborah had come back. Um, and so she dies here. But everyone else, everything else that happened seems like we've seen this before, right? Well, like, I feel like we've seen him name this place Bethel. We've seen him being renamed Israel, like why is this, what's happening here? Like why, why are we seeing this again? Um, and some people see things like this in the Bible and they're like, oh, I found a fault. They go, actually. Um, and that's how I react with those people. I say, if you utter the word, no, but it's like, um, I'm a great counselor. I'm just letting you know. Um, but like, it's like, wait a minute, we saw this already. Is the writer confused about what's happening? But I wanna talk about this for a minute. Um, in verse 6, where it says, Jacob came to lose, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan, um, we see often, because some people are like, well, what is it? What's the name of it? So, I mean, you know places have different names, right? Like, I lived in a town called Hayesville, and there's Hayesville, and there's Franklin, right? But there are some places called Shooting Creek. There's Fox Creek, there's Warning, you know, Warren, right? But they're all the same area, right? But everyone calls it a certain thing. So if you come up from Florida... And you say Hayesville, they're like, who's this Florida idiot, right? Talking about shooting creek, different name, right? And the Canaanite people called it one thing, and the Israelites called it another. That's why you see those two names. But then we see in verse 7 that Jacob, it says he calls this place Bethel. But he had already called this Bethel, right? He had already called it Bethel. When he had the vision of the angels ascending and descending, that's, that's when, before he even left on his way out. It was a long time ago he called it Bethel. But if you notice, he calls this place El Bethel. Not just Bethel, El Bethel. Meaning there's a masculine form. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, it's different. Bethel means the house of God. El Bethel means God of the house of God. So the house of God to God of the house of God. 
And it might seem like a small uh, difference, but it isn't. We have to remember as we go through this, Jacob doesn't have a Bible to read for God to reveal himself through the word. We were talking the other night at Men's Bible study about how God reveals himself and all the way he can reveal himself. He can reveal himself through the word. He can reveal himself by talking to you, right? Dreams um, physically appearing to you. But Jacob doesn't have a Bible. We, we have so many scriptures that give us a good idea of, what God, of who God is, what God thinks, what he would do in this situation, what his statutes are. We have a Bible. We, we know, we read, oh, he's omniscient, right? He is all powerful. He is omnipresent. Like I know those things because I've read it and I've experienced it, but I've read that truth in the Bible. We know he's God. We know that he's God alone, but Jacob only knows what has been revealed to him. And what, what his father and what his grandfather have, have passed down. You remember we talked about all those local gods and everyone else thinks that gods are these like local gods and they only have power over certain elements or certain areas. That's, that's the idea of a god in this time. That they just have power over a natural element or a location. In Jacob's first encounter with God, when he first encounters him at Bethel, he may have had some preconceived notions about who this god is. Right, he calls it the house of God, maybe, and he sets up an altar at Bethel, and he's like, this is, man, this place. I've discovered the God of this place, this area. We don't know how big or how small he thought that entailed. We don't know how powerful or, or omniscient or omnipresent he thought God was, but probably because of what everyone else believes, he had a limited understanding of the greatness of God. House of God means that he believes that he's the God of that place. And he might have thought, as I leave this place and go into a different place, will that God be with me? Will that God have any power where I am going? I don't really know. How limited was this God? How powerful was God? But here in the renaming, we see a greater understanding of who God is. God of the house of God is so much bigger. He's like, yeah, I discovered something. That could be his house, but God is so much bigger than that. He is so much bigger than that. I experienced him and that location, but he is not just there. He is everywhere I went. He went before me and behind me. He did things I didn't think were possible. I've seen him at work here and here and here and here. And what I have discovered Along my travels is that he is, this is not the house of God. And I have not set this altar up to worship a house of God. I have set this altar up to worship the God of this house of God. The God that I discovered here in this location. God is bigger than the house. Without the L, Bethel is just a place. It's just an empty place. There's no power in the place. The power, the thing he experienced was because God was in the place. It wasn't the place itself. It's because God was in the place. And this seems like a simple thing, something we should know. But as Christians, we can be very confused about the house of God and the God of his house. They're different things. We can love Christian music. We can love Christian music. You, you might only listen to Christian music. Only listen to worship music. You can, you can love small groups, love the fellowship that you experience at church. We can love going to church and seeing our friends. It can be our favorite place to be. And we can love all those things and have all those things a part of our lives without actually loving or knowing God. 
becomes part of a culture. And that's what we have. We have this Christian culture, right? I'm a Christian. I like all the Christian things. I like Christian books. I love Christian bookstores, right? I've got my family of Christian bookstore card stamp. I got one more to go till I get a free prayer, right? Like that, and we can, we can love those things and, and not love the God of the house. We can, if God isn't here in this place, it's just a, it's just a, a room in a strip mall, you know? It's just a room in a strip mall. That's all it is, if God is not here. If we come here on a Sunday and we're just sitting here and it's not about God, then it's just an empty meeting. You can have 5,000 people in the seats of a church and it can be empty. It can be empty. And sometimes we don't even want God there. Because God doesn't always adhere to the schedule, right? God doesn't always work in the way we want him to. And so sometimes he's not even welcome in his own house. It's got to be about the God of the house of God, not about the house. And this other thing, God being omniscient and omnipresent, Jacob in the renaming when he's like, he's already been named Israel. Why is God telling him he's renamed Israel? Do you think Jacob, after all that has transpired, maybe wondered if God still wanted to do that? Maybe in that one moment, he was like, you're changing my name. You're changing who I am. You said the past doesn't matter. I'm a new creature and I'm Israel. And then, and then all these steps down the way, he's like, God. Did you see what just happened from my family that I was supposed to raise up to walk with you? Do you wish you never blessed me? Do you ever regret, God, that it wasn't Esau? Do you ever wonder what it would have been if it was Esau and not me? Because I know I haven't lived up to what, I haven't lived up to who I thought the blessed the blessed person should be. I, I'm not my father. I'm not my grandfather. I've heard stories of them and they were just men of God and I am not that. And I wonder, God, if you ever regret that it was me. Do you regret choosing me? Are you taking it back? Did you say, you can have this. I want it. I've got plans for you. And I didn't love, live up to it. And you said, no more plans for you. You're Jacob, that creeping thing in the back of his mind. I'm Israel, I'm Israel. God has called me Israel. I'm gonna stand on that. I'm gonna walk in it. I am Israel. No going back, I'm going forward. I am a new creature. And then the devil comes and lies and you go, but I still feel like Jacob. That thought was a Jacob thought. Lord, I still feel Jacob in me. And I've seen things happen in my family. And sometimes I doubt that I'm still Israel if I'm still who you want me to be, if you still love me the same, do you still love me the same? Have you still called me? Am I still chosen? Am I still blessed by you? Do you still have a plan for my life or have I ruined it all and fallen into being Jacob again? And that is why God 
He says, no, you're, you're renamed Israel. I told you that. You're Israel. You are not Jacob. You are not Jacob. Not anymore. And God reminds him, reminds him. Just, Israel, just as I am not limited to this location, my decrees and my words are not limited to a time or a place. I didn't say that about you because of who you were at that time. I said that about you because that is who you are. I am God and I have decreed it. And what I have said is done and it cannot be undone. So get up, Israel. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to speak the name Jacob again because I have taken it and I have given you something new. And that is who you are. You are still Israel. The blessing still stands. The land, you hear him repeat the blessing. The land is still yours. The community of nation will still come from you. Everything I said to your oh-so-perfect grandfather and your oh-so-perfect father, every word of that blessing is true for you. Every word of it. Exactly the same. Because my word doesn't change. If I said it, it's true. Do not doubt again. And we have, we have to be patient with Jacob and understand he didn't, he didn't have a Bible to look in for a reminder. Sometimes we look and we quote a verse or we're like, man, I'm feeling so bad. Oh, what's the verse of the day? Oh, that's so perfect for me, right? The, the verse of the day really hit home to where I'm at, right? And that's awesome. But Jacob doesn't have that for Israel. I'm like, you're not Jacob anymore. Jacob, I'm throwing it back in his face, right? And, and Jacob is slowly learning about God, slowly learning about God. And even though we have a Bible, there's always more to learn about God. We are always continuously learning about God. And no matter how much you know about God, no matter how close you are to God, we still need these reminders. We still need, I need the reminders. No, I've still called you. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Huh. There's, I can like name so many better people. I, and I can, I'll list them. No, but like, you know, like I can name so many other people. Why? Why? Why Why do you love me? We need reminders. And God will give them. God will give them over and over and over. We can still, we can be a scholar of the word and we still need these reminders of who we are in Christ. And Jacob, Israel, needs this reminder because all that's just gone on. It's like, are you sure? Did you see all the dirt in my family? right? At first, there's like a tiny hint of sin, right? Dinah's like, oh, you know, I'm sneaking out, got unhealthy interest in worldly things. And then as the situation unfolds, as, as the spade hits the dirt, roots are revealed and those roots go deep. And, and Israel's like, have you ever had, I don't, I don't know how many of you try to fix things around your own house, but like every minor project just explodes, that's like what's happened here, you know? You can think like, oh, you know what? Oh, the knob to the drawer fell out. I'm just going to screw it back in. Oh, my goodness, we have black mold in the entire bathroom. And you're just like, that's why I don't fix things. It always, it always explodes. And that's what happened. They're just like, oh, there's just a little thing, just a little. What is going on? What has happened? Can you imagine 
when your sons come back and you're like, we stuck up for our sister, and you're like, I'm proud of you. You stuck up for your sister. That's awesome. So godly. What'd you do? Huh. <laughs> you're like, you killed everybody. Okay. And they were just laying, they were like, they didn't even fight back. They were hurting. They were injured. Oh, elderly men? Oh, young men? You know, and you're just like, I don't even know how you got to this. God, how did they get to this? What have I done? What did I do wrong? That's because that's what you do as a father or a mother or as a, as a sister or as a friend or as a, you're just like, what did I do? What could I have done differently? Right? But in these roots, there are things that need to be left behind. This, this, what has happened in this city, and the brothers looted, is cause for great alarm. Great alarm. Because like Jesus said, it's not the action. The, the action is a sin, but it's like, where, the, where were the thoughts that led up to this? And no one thought, that's a bad idea. And no one said, that's a bad idea. They had a lot of time. I mean, they could have even spared half the town. You know, like, this is gruesome. You know, this isn't what I thought it would be. No, no, nothing happens, right? And you can see Israel being like, how long has this been like this? How many, how deep do these roots go? I can't examine everyone's heart. What is everyone's heart like? These, my son, my sons were proud of what they did. There were no remorse. They thought it was the right thing to do. That's the worst part. They thought this was the right thing to do. And it's so wrong and unjust. What, how, many, how many people in my family thought that they were right to do it? How many people in my family were upset with me when I said that's not what, the way we do things? What is going on? What is going on in my family? And, and Israel says it's time to clean house. It's time to clean house. Obviously, there are some things that we need to get rid of. There are things in the house we need to get rid of. There are roots that we have allowed to grow and we're not gonna allow them to grow anymore. I'm tired of just trimming the tree. If we're gonna go back to Bethel, if we're gonna go to a place, if we're gonna follow God and be the nation and be his people and go back to Bethel, when I remember who that God is, I know we cannot go like this. We are not going like this. We're digging up those roots, every one, and we're getting rid of them. It's going to be new. We need to be new. And just like Israel, God is constantly, constantly calling us closer to him. Come closer. I have more to reveal. I have more to show you. I want more intimacy. I want to speak more into your life. I want you to feel my presence. I, I want to walk with you. I'm walking with you, but I want you to know that I'm walking with you. He is constantly calling us in a closer relationship with him. He's calling us into his presence. He's calling us to draw close. But as we draw close, there are things we have to leave behind. And he reveals it. He reveals what needs to be left behind. And something always needs to be left behind. He's like, man, I have something I want to show you. I have places I want to go with you, but not like this. I remember um, when I first got saved, I did some, with some friends, we did a worship thing. And, um, uh, and at the time, I, um, I was living with a, a girlfriend 
and um and I just got saved. So and um and the the pastor found out and he said um you you can't you you can't come lead worship at all these things we're doing. And um and some of the other people with me just kind of got mad. But I knew that he was right. I knew he was right. And I had to let, I had to get out of that relationship. And though it was difficult, God made it easy because it, was, it, it wasn't a relationship founded in him. He was no part of it. And even though I was chasing after him, you want, you want these different things, you know? But God, as God calls us closer, he says, I, I want you to do this though. And when we don't, because he's calling us into righteousness. He calls us into holiness. And sometimes as Christians, we say, I'm fine where I am. I'm fine where I am. I'm going to hold on to this. We have to decide, what do we want? Do we want God more? Or do we want this more? So often, if we continue to struggle with the same sin, it's because we haven't really given it up. So often, and I've said this a million times, so forgive me if I've already told you this. I said it at men's Bible study. Um, people would come up to me and say, I've stopped hearing God's voice. I used to hear it so clearly, and now I don't hear it anymore. What can I do? And I always say, and it's so wise. No, um, but I always say, I say, what was the last thing he told you to do? And they go, and they never go, you know, I don't know. They go, oh, and I said, did you do it? And they say, uh. but then, but then if they do that, they've come up hopping and skipping and saying, guess what, guess what, guess what? I'm hearing his voice. You never, you never stopped hearing his voice. He just kept saying the same thing. And you were like, well, I don't want to listen to that. So, I, so I'm not hearing his voice anymore. God is calling us closer. He wants to set us free from sin. He wants to set us free from sin. He wants to change our lives. But to give us freedom, he's not going to force it. We have to decide to set it down. We have to, set it, we have to set it down. And we have to set it down in a place we can't go back to and pick it back up. And Israel says, no more compromise. I don't care what this is worth financially. I don't care what we could do with these idols that, that could help us financially. I don't care about that at all. This is, this is sin and this is death and we're bearing it. I don't care if no one agrees with me. I don't care if I lose friends. I don't care if everyone is upset with me. This is what we're doing. And after he puts it away, Israel again has an experience with God, a deep, close encounter with God. It says in verse 13, after God talks to him, that then God went up from him in the place where he talked to him. God went up, meaning God was there, meaning there was a, there was a presence there. There was a physical presence that then God went up. He experienced God in a new way, a deep presence of God in that place. Not because of the place, but because God was close. Because God, the God of the house of God was there with him. A deep presence. And there was a deep presence when they set aside their idols, when they set aside their compromises. As Christians, we can't compromise any longer. 
And no matter, no matter how long we've walked with God, no matter how much we know about God, we have to continue to examine our hearts, examine our lives, examine our homes. How long has this been here? What needs to go? Because it, it gets messy pretty quickly. Uh, if you have kids, I clean, we clean. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't clean. Um, I'm not taking issue. Like, you said something that was not true. Um, you clean the house, and then before you know it, it's dirty again, and that's the way with sin. But we think, well, I'm good, man. Grace, grace is sufficient, and grace is sufficient, but we need to continuously clean house, continuously. What's in this house that's keeping us from God? What's in my heart that's keeping me from God? What's in this church that's keeping us from God? Where have we compromised? What haven't we given up? What are we not obeying in? And it's a continuous practice, but I'm telling you, because you might think like, man, this Christian thing, I don't like it. All this, ah, Continuously cleaning house, who likes to clean? But I'm telling you, the deep presence of God comes. The deep presence of God comes. And that's what I want. That's what I desire, a deep presence of God, where it's like, and God spoke to me, and then God went up from speaking to Nathan. And I'm like, ah! I'm fe- I feel the presence of God. I'm, fe- I'm feeling the strength of God. God is with me, and I know it. I know who I am. I'm not Jacob. I'm Israel, and I'm standing on it. And you know when we know that we're Israel? When we're changed? When we feel his presence and when we're walking with him. And when we set it aside and we say, that doesn't matter anymore. You know, I don't want any of that. The devil wants us to keep it because it holds us back. And we think we want it, and we think it gives us power. We think it gives us comfort, but there is no comfort like the Holy Spirit, and it has to be set aside. It has to be set aside. And as a church, as a people of God, because we are the people of God, we are holy, we are set apart. God has set you apart. He has called you by name. Everything he did and said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now Israel is true for you. Everything in this word that it says, this is just a page, but in the Bible, everything that it says, the word is true for you. It's just as true as it was then. We just have to set it down. We can't wait until the roots are deep. We can't wait till the roots are deep. We cannot wait until the depth of sin is revealed. We have to seek it out. We have to look at it. So many, so many parents say, oh, look at the way my kids have turned out as adults. I wish this did, I did this differently. I wish I did this differently. And God can still step in and do the miraculous. But don't you wish you could have gone back and done it right the first time? said, I wish I had obeyed God in what to do in this situation. It's the same is true for each one of us. Same is true for each one of us. I don't want anyone in this room to look back and say, I wish I'd done things differently in my life. I wish I knew the presence of God like they did in the Bible. That is the saddest thing ever. If a Christian can say, I wish I knew the presence of God like they did in the Bible. You can know the presence of God like they did in the Bible. If you will walk with them, walk with God like they did in the Bible, we cannot wait until the roots are deep. We cannot wait until sin is revealed. We have to seek it out and command it to go. We have to be on the lookout. We have to look for it. We have to be on guard against it in our homes, in our churches, in our lives, everywhere. We have to be on guard. But I'm telling you, If you give it up, if you set it down, the presence of God is so much greater. You will forget that, you will forget the power of the love or the love that you had for that thing because it's nothing in comparison to the power and the love of the living God. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.